Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. Well, it's great to be in Amsterdam today. Uh, I've just had a cup of coffee with uh, Rob van Egmond, who is the CEO of Quintic. And I just spoke at your event, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, it's a very great presentation you gave, by the way. I think it's very insightful. I think our, uh, our audience must have enjoyed it. It was always a bit confronting talking to logistics leaders because I think their opening presumption is, uh, um, let's see if this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think logistics leaders have seen many changes in the world uh, and of course many changes being predicted in the world that never came. So there's a little <laughs> bit of a, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's actually astonishing. I've, I've been looking a lot at uh, the logistics industry in the last couple of years and it's something I'd never expected to be such a focus, but it's, I think what's happened is is that it's become the first line of impact mm-hmm. um, because of digitization. Yeah, so I think from my perspective, it's, it's digitization, it's uh, customization, it's individualization, all of those which are driven by, as, as you mentioned, digitization, right? So in the world of the internet, in the world of digital, you can have everything you want. Uh, and people are now expecting that in the real world as well. So instead of uh, having Oh, let's take the iPad, for instance, having only the one white-eyed phone we used to have, you now have the gold one, the blue one, uh, well, not blue one yet, but the black one, etc. So people want more more customization for their specific need, and the same holds on the logistics side. So you no longer want something to be delivered to you next week when they say it will come, but now <laughs> you want something delivered tomorrow. It's, it's actually it's extraordinary after. how spoiled people have got. Uh, it's I, I mean, it used to be amazing that it would be delivered at all. And now, if it's not delivered within two hours, people think there's something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I remember that, uh, and it's when you went into a shop, and uh, you, you, potentially also tells me you how old am I, but you went to a shop, and of course the one you wanted was never there, but they could back order it for you, and then next week you will get a phone call, and they will tell you when they're coming to deliver to your house. So you better be there. Mm. Nowadays, I uh, recently, indeed, like I said, I, I recently decided after six months that I wanted that specific iPad in this case. And I went online and the shop that I went to didn't actually have it. So they could only give it to me tomorrow. So of course I went somewhere else. And I went to another <laughs> shop until I found something that, that, that could actually deliver it this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, so so, uh, so I, it, it takes me six months, but then I want instant gratification. And that's where the world is, I think, uh, from a consumer expectation is completely changing which has profound effects on the on the so there's very much a, a link between the sort of the digital transformation of consumer experiences with the digitization of the supply chain as well they're, they're really hand in hand yeah, yeah so i think a part of the digitization of consumer experience raises these expectations and it is the digitization of the supply chain that actually allows us to fulfill these expectations. Mm. Uh, because uh, there's no way that I can go online and order something that gets delivered this afternoon um, if that information is not completely digitally flowing through that supply chain. And in most cases, actually, the, the decision-making process is even done digitally because mm. it's just too much for a human being to cope with same-day delivery. Uh, so digitization of supply chain allows us to deliver on the promise 
um, or the expectation of the uh, digitized, let's say, uh, generation. My real interest in this area, of course, is, is not just the digital aspect, but the, I guess, the algorithmic questions that are now at the heart of mm -hmm. a lot of this change. And, and a lot of that really goes back to optimization. And one of the things I found most interesting in your background is that you actually started out in emergency services, yeah. uh, trying to figure out when and how to send ambulances on time. Can, can, you, can you tell me a bit of that story? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So indeed, I have a background in optimization in general. Uh, and one of the first things I did before uh, working at Kindig is indeed helping emergency services uh, decide, very simply, which uh, police car, which ambulance, or which fire uh, truck to send to an incident. Uh, and I think in, if you look at fire trucks, they're generally sta stationary, but ambulances and, and police cars are mobile because they have to be close to uh, to incidents when they occur. Yeah. So the decision might seem simple. You send the closest car. Right? Yeah. It's very simple. But of course, if this is a relatively low uh, intensity incident, uh, the, the low emergency incident, sending the closest car might leave you completely exposed in a certain area because you no longer have coverage. So the decision-making process is actually significantly more, more difficult than just setting the closest one because you need to keep the balance up, uh, which is what I did. And it's, uh, I think it's solving puzzles. This is just another puzzle to solve. Um, and that's always great fun. Uh, in that sense, uh, optimization allows people to solve puzzles much faster than they would themselves, I, and I, much more easier. I like this idea of puzzles, uh, and in fact, w when I first got involved in the digital industry, uh, I was really drawn in by this one story. I think it was about this mathematician in the 17th century called uh, uh, Euler, yeah. and uh, I, I, he was having a, a coffee uh, in Conisberg, and he uh, uh, was thinking about this uh, puzzle that people used to entertain themselves with mm -hmm. back then, which was could you cross all seven bridges of Conisberg without going doubling back? Mm -hmm. And uh, no one could really, you know, no one could really solve this. And in order to solve it, he invented essentially graph theory and topology, yep. which is sort of at the heart of these same optimization issues that you've been using for ambulances in your past, and I guess how DHL gets packets on time. Yeah, absolutely. So what actually Euler did in the in the in that is created graphs and uh, in this case actually what the Euler graph came from uh, and showed uh, in this case by the way I think I remember that's not possible but that same graph theory and the algorithms you used on top of that are in the theory started turning into what we could now call the traveling salesman problem right which is okay how do you actually take a salesman and go through all these bridges in the most efficient way and that's actually at the heart of the standard algorithms we use for the DHL, et cetera. So, so yes, you, you're right. So the way we currently solve the 1.8 billion packages that get issued by DHL uh, is basically linked to the same question that Euler asked themselves in the 17th century. It's just, it's Luckily, it's gonna it, come a great way. Well, uh, it's extraordinary. You can sort of draw a dotted line from these, these essential questions that are all philosophical that have now become operational in, in the digital world. And, even further on, people say quantum computers mm -hmm. will be particularly good at optimization problems. Yeah, so I think uh, uh, I think the, the, the benefit of quantum computers is not only the, their, their ability to calculate fast, but I think also within uh, uh, within optimization, we need to make a lot of decisions, and sometimes we need to come back on decision. I think the, the whole concept of quantum which allows, let's say, a decision to be in flux while you're still making going onwards. I think it's some, a concept we can use greatly in optimization. Mm -hmm. I think uh, we haven't 
gotten there yet because it's very hard to get the hardware to test it all yet. But I think, yes, the theory is great. Certainly given, I think, from my expectation is that if you look at our, the world of our consumers getting more demanding, faster, now, etc. The time it we have available to make decisions basically becomes shorter and shorter to mm. almost zero. So our ability to actually optimize and compute using, for instance, as you mentioned, quantum computing, uh, will at some point in time just be needed to be able to respond to the demands of the customer consumer. And of course the other way around, because we can now do it so much faster, our demands will just go up. But, uh, this is very much driving this idea of complexity. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, I've read a lot of um, studies and Harvard Business Review of executives who are trying to reduce complexity in their business. But I know it's in your view that complexity is not something that you can, with a broom, just sort of sweep out of the business. It, it's actually in, intrinsic to the nature of 21st century business. Yes. Can, can, can you talk yeah, a bit about right. yes. yeah. so, so I think complexity, as you mentioned, is just part of life and it becomes more complex. Right. The, yeah. the, the, your customers' demands will go up. Your uh, your your conditions will get more complex and, and, and changing. It's it's a feature of the system, not a bug. So I think yes, yeah. and I think one of the the, the companies that will make uh, a difference uh, that distinguishes themselves is to actually use that complexity, uh, harvest it, manage it, master it, so that it actually becomes a a value proposition for them instead of a cost reduction driver. Right. Right. So in the uh, if you look at historically supply chain optimization, it's always been about how do I control my supply chain and how do I reduce cost because supply chain has always been seen as a cost component. Or, or push driver. the cost onto someone else. Or, or, or indeed, how do I improve my <laughs> negotiation capabilities so yeah. that somebody else could do it. Right now what you see is that uh, companies that have got their supply chain in the widest sense under control can show it as a, as a distinguishing factor, as a benefit. So uh, like I mentioned earlier, so getting same day delivery uh, instead of next day delivery is a distinguishing factor. And to be able to do that, you need to master the complexity of your supply chain. And it's not about just cost reduction, hmm. because you can actually ask a premium. It's about the ability to provide value and, and, and relevance to your customers uh, by mastering the complexity. So we believe that supply chain should become more of a value driver and be used as a value driver uh, in the business instead of just a cost driver and just get the cost down or get the cost elsewhere. No, let's show that by having your the complexity of your supply chain under control, hmm. you can provide something nobody, nobody else can. A reactivity, an agility, an ability to serve your customer at, uh, faster and better than, than your competition. Uh, so the answer to complexity is not more processed then, it's the ability to be able to respond quickly or agility. Yes, is that right? yeah, I think so, like, like you mentioned, complexity doesn't go away. Yeah. Complexity. You can't you can't beat it into submission with process. Yeah, true. Complexity <laughs> doesn't allow generally doesn't allow itself to be controlled because that's right. part of the, the, the problem. It's that there are a lot of things in your not in the world but also in supply chain you just don't control, and that's what drives the complexity. So uh, trying to just put more control on top of it doesn't really solve it. It just makes the problem go away by adding buffers and costs, so you don't see it anymore. Uh, but it doesn't go away. So I think the the, the the distinguishing point is to recognize it, to make sure that you you make sure that you have the visibility on it, you have the control on it, the digitization algorithm, getting the data, data analytics, uh, data analytics, getting yeah. the data so you learn what's going on, and then make sure that you set your business up so that you can respond to what's happening, right, and create the agility. 
And of course, to, have, to be able to have agility, you need to be able to look. You need to look what's going on. You need to be able to know what is going to happen if you respond mm. and then be able to respond. So, so there's really four pieces there, isn't it? It's uh, visibility, mm -hmm. um, data analytics, yep. agility, and what was the fourth? And uh, the ability to make great decisions on that. Great big, de big decisions in this case. So this is a challenging idea about big decisions because we've sort of come through a period where people just thought it was about getting big data. Mm -hmm. But that's not the same, is it? No. So I think if you look at big data, I, 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 when I talk to, let's say, groups of our customers, I always ask them, how many of you are doing big data? And a couple of years ago, a lot of hands went up. And a few <laughs> years ago, it started going down. And recently, you see very few hands go up. Most of them uh, are actually almost, uh, let's say, afraid to put their hands up because, well, I'm now the only one that's still doing it. So we see that uh, the big data has gone through that hype of... Uh, of renewal, I think, or, or innovation from Carter. We're now almost in the, uh, the trends of... Uh, the trust of despair. Trust of despair, yes, thank you, that's <laughs> the one, yes. And the reason for that, for me, is very simple, because big data by itself does not provide value. Uh, big data is basically static, it's, it's a lot of data. It's about what do you do with that data. Yeah. So from data, you need to make sure that you get information out of it. You need to make sure that you get knowledge out of it, so that you can make, start making decisions. And in the end, you want to make sure that you have a decision-making process that learns from all the big data, preferably automatic, algorithmic, as you describe, so that you can actually speed up your decision-making process and make sure that your decision-making process keeps learning from the past. And that's when suddenly big data becomes, from my perspective, big decision-making, and that's when it starts adding value. So There's a subtle change here, and you, you sort of slipped it in, Rob, which is decisions are being made, but not necessarily by humans. I think when we first talked about big data, it was all about you know, providing all of these infographics and sort of command modules for mm -hmm. humans. But what's really changed in the last five years is now most of the consumers of the of the data are actually algorithms. Yes. And that smart companies are delegating more and more decision-making uh, to machines, mm -hmm. uh, which can be, sh should we be discomforted by that? So everybody, of course, I think somehow fears AI, and I think you go to what is it, uh, uh, the, the bad robot. But I think in this case, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 not about the bad robot going getting ugly. It's about uh, being able to respond to everything that's going on. And right. I think um, with today's supply chain, humans are just not able to respond fast enough anymore. So you have to They're design agility to into the platform. So, so to be able to resp yeah. respond agilely to your customer demands, you need to, to automate. Uh, and I think automation is not a bad thing. It, I think it enables people to make better decisions, to be more productive, to be more effective. So people will go from somebody that just crunches numbers uh, to somebody that actually designs and controls the way, in this case, an algorithm makes decisions. But in the end, to be able to respond to customer demands, you still need to be able to, let's say, imagine the customer, and that's where humans become much more of a controlling entity, while the individual decision-making processes are completely automated. So let's dive into that a little bit more. What, in in your field at least, what are what is work that machines are best left to do, and what is human-shaped work that the sort of the future leaders of the twenty-first century should be focusing their capabilities around? Okay. So I think if you look at running business, right? You have a lot of knowledge gathering. Right. can be fully automated. You have a lot of what we call deductions. So, okay, th then this will happen and be completely automated. So right now you see that more and more decision-making can also be completely automated. 
But on the other hand, you still have uh, humans to actually deal with the creative exceptions. A customer has typed in the wrong amount. Uh, a, a computer will very happily serve hundreds of iPads to a customer. A human knows that is not the case, right? right. Uh, uh, and uh, so the human capabilities are stuck much more on the creativeness of the business. Hmm. How do I change the way we deal with our customers? How do I change the way we deal with exceptions? Whereas all the repetitive, okay, we need to schedule all of our trucks to go out again. Uh, we need to deal with this customer orders. That's more repetitive work that can be fully automated. Uh, and with big data leading to big pieces of information, leading to big decisions, uh, also uh, much more, in the end, much more efficiently executed than with people. So, so there's, there's definitely something around um, creativity and exception management, but there's also creativity in the design of the systems and mm -hmm. the application and training of the algorithms as well, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. Part of the, uh, and I think you mentioned in your, in your story, right, it's about uh, a, the humans are there as designers of the algorithm. They are designers of the way we approach problems uh, and less as the execution or, or doing the work, in this, as you mentioned it. So um, uh, some of the innovations we see right now in the way we, we deal with our consumers, they cannot be created by people. So I think in this case, what people still distinguishes significantly computers is the ability to be creative, is the ability to then design how to be different and in that sense, becoming, as you, I think you also mentioned, become a designer of how we work. Yes. And then the actual work can be executed by, people, by, by, the, by the algorithms. Well, what, if you were to build a team of you know, rock star uh, people who could think like this, mm -hmm. what would you be looking for? Like, what kinds of people do you think that you should be hiring into your team uh, that will be able to work alongside algorithms in a, in a useful and productive way? So. I can. It's not, just, it's, not just, it's not just data specialists, is no, it? No, no, I can reflect a little bit on the people that we would yeah, yeah. hire. So, so right now, so if you look at who we would hire, we, we look at, I, I like people that are passionate about stuff. Uh, uh, I like people that challenge the status quo, right? So, uh, and that means you be creative. Uh, uh, so, uh, and in that sense, we come back to processes versus agility. I would want people in my company that, that challenge the process, that, that tell me how to be different. Right. Uh, because when everything everything that's supposed to be in process can all, all be automated uh, through algorithms and optimization, uh, you want people that deal with the unknown that that can have the, that like it when this customer comes on the phone and wants everything changed. <laughs> uh, because now they have to think, now they have to be creative, uh, and then they'll tell the system roughly what they want, and then the system can execute most of it themselves. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a very different response to complexity as well. Uh, I think in the old days, anyone who raised an idea that would increase complexity into the supply chain would have been particularly unpopular. Yeah, yeah, yeah because <laughs> that's what extra, an extra step in the process to that's control right. it. Yeah. So, so yes, I, I would say that in today's world, uh, where uh, a lot of it is indeed by now controlled by algorithms, you want people to be different than the algorithms. You want people to be the innovators. You want people to challenge. Uh, uh, people to be looking for something they haven't seen before, looking for for that thing that needs to be addressed differently. I'd like to explore the, the, some of those ideas of complexity a little. Uh, one of the things that I found really fascinating is that I read an account that uh, in Amazon Prime's warehouses, mm -hmm. that when the goods come in, they just get loaded randomly on the shelf. So you'll, you'll find in the state-of-the-art facility 
peanut butter next to a graphics card, yeah. next to a Nintendo Switch, next to some shampoo. Uh, the logic being that why waste time putting things in order when you've got a computer that can remember where things are and yeah. calculate the right route for uh, picking and packing. Yeah, and not only that, but you also know that every day there is going to be a certain number of peanut butters uh, ordered. <laughs> and if they're all in the same location in your warehouse, you'll actually have it's actually less the, efficient. The huh? automated systems will actually start competing with each other. So having, uh, let's say, uh, the, in this case, the peanut butter spread all over the warehouse, um, then when the order comes in, and you know that's peanut butter and that graphic card, the system actually knows that there's that just happened to be that ideal location where you randomly put those things together. So it can much easier get the machinery to And that's yeah. of course a level of complexity, a level of data analytics that's completely incapable of for humans to, to manage. Right. But nowadays it becomes relatively simple for computers to manage. So this this is an interesting example of a unexpected, non-intuitive, creative solution uh, to a complex problem that is really only addressable now that we're living mm -hmm. in this particular age where we have machines. Yeah. Have there been some other that you've encountered uh, of unusual solutions to strange puzzles that are not intuitive? That's actually an interesting question. So if you look at unexpected solutions or unexpected complexity, the responses to complexity, um, one of the things that always strikes me, and that's also because when I learned about it, it was somewhat surprising at the amount of complexity and, and, and strangeness of the solutions that we needed to do there, is uh, what we call the protein industry, right? right. So it's about basically serving the need for steak and, and, and sirloin uh, based on, uh, on, in this case, disassembly of animals. It doesn't sound nice, but that's, the, let's say, the most... I have this horrible feeling that I'm going to be a vegan by the end of this conversation. Yes, that's Rob, a, that's but, actually, but we will continue. That, that's actually a, that's a, the, <laughs> the, probably the best uh, way I can actually describe it. But, uh, and what I always found uh, surprising is that, um, given the fact, of course, that uh, when you take, let's take a T-bone steak. A T-bone steak has on the one hand a, a sirloin and the other hand a porthouse. Right. Uh, that means that if you are uh, selling uh, sirloins, uh, you automatically get porthouse. So you're better off selling porthouse somewhere. Uh, and of course, if you're selling T-bone steak, you'll get neither. Uh, so that means if, if you're selling sirloin, you cannot sell port, uh, t bones and you have to sell uh, porthouse. Um, now imagine you being a salesperson sitting there with a customer and he comes in and says, I want this amount of whatever uh, cut. Um, you can no longer just say yes, because you may just create a significant problem for that other sales guy that's doing that. So where it started off as a relatively simple industry uh, of uh, well, selling beef in this case, uh, when, I when I went into that a little bit and we started discussing with these customers, you find that there's an enormous amount of complexity that is very, to me at least, counterintuitive. Where does it... Where it's do you a, get it's, it's you another get, optimization problem. Where, yeah, of, it's another ULO optimization I'm problem. so enthusiastic because it's an optimization problem. But yeah. it's about, okay, so, so how do you now deal with that side product that has value? Uh, but sometimes the market is quite different. So um, the, the, uh, the creative solutions that are needed to actually get these uh, problems onto the market. Uh, are for me at least amazing and I found it always very interesting to work in that industry and again learn on how something which I thought is simple, I go to the butcher and I get myself a right. cut of meat, now it turns out to have all of this complexity and, uh, and processes behind it. I think there are interesting things happening in food, not just in the, as the vegans would say, the animal disassembly uh, industry, but, uh, but also in, in, in sort of organic authentication. Uh, one of the areas that I thought was fascinating was the use of blockchain, mm -hmm. you know, in the food supply chain to 
ensure not only the safety of the food, but its provenance and that it was conflict-free and, mm -hmm. and, and along every step of the supply chain to have that kind of visibility into something as it moves from West Africa to a boutique coffee house in Seattle. Yeah, so I think it, it, uh, blockchain is one of the, the, let's say, the innovations in the supply chain uh, that allows us to uh, also control the information flow uh, and also be able to now um, share information with much more trust of how it will be used and where it comes from. Uh, so it has enabled a lot of our supply chain uh, customers to to make a much more integrated supply chain, which we call that's the extended supply chain. So you have more visibility as to what's coming from your uh, your suppliers through information sharing and secured information sharing, where blockchain is one of the items that has significantly helped in making that much more open and transparent. Right. So as we move this into the future, uh, how will some of these changes in the supply chain with machine learning and better decision making and data touch our everyday lives. Uh, I mean, one thing that strikes me as an obvious potential impact is if we can have more regular deliveries of fresh food, mm -hmm. we can all have much smaller refrigerators. Yep. You no longer need to have so much storage if we're getting const a continuous flow of, of goods that sometimes even before we know we want them, they just arrive. Yeah, yeah. so I, I actually know, I think it's a colleague of mine gave an example where he actually has basically no fridge. Why? Because he lives on top of a supermarket that's now open 24 seven. Right, so, I think so the, the, the supermarket is his refrigerator. So yeah, I think yeah. we go in one, one step further. I think the whole concept of having your own personal storage of stuff that is basically deliverable within five minutes will go away. Yes, Which especially if you have drones, right? And, and drones could be a, a solution. Uh, I think, so my personal perspective, I believe the automated guided vehicle on the street is a little bit more likely, at least faster than drones, but I, I also like the concept of flying things, but, <laughs> but I think it's a little bit uh, easier to implement and, and regulate. Um, but, it, but I do agree that uh, automated vehicles in, in whatever form uh, will, let's say, significantly contribute to you getting much more, as a consumer, a much more shorter supply chain. You actually, on whatever device, let's call it a phone, decide that you want something, and, and we can now deliver this within certain minutes instead of days, mm. meaning you will have no supply on it. Now, on the other hand, as a consumer, you probably don't think about this, but imagine the world that is actually now behind this, right? We now need to have a world that can respond to your every whim. Uh, that means that we need to forecast your every whim on the one hand. We need to pre-position stuff. We need to have that automated vehicle driving in the right direction so that when you actually have that whim, we can actually deliver it. Um, of course, we cannot have huge warehouses with full of stock. So uh, we need to, let's say, forecasting of what you will be ordering becomes more important. Pre-positioning, getting it resupplied quickly becomes more important. So where the consumer will probably never notice because they just see that their, their refrigerator has gone away, the supply chain that actually is behind it just becomes more and more complex. It's a seductive idea that there's this whole universe of activity and motion just waiting to fulfill your needs before you even need, you even know you have them. As somebody that's actually working in this space, yes, I think <laughs> as, a, as a consumer you just open the door and, and take the package. But uh, indeed, it, it's, it's interesting to figure out what is actually behind this, uh, this whole concept that allows us to go to the process where you will have your dinner basically in parts maybe still delivered at five o'clock in the afternoon 
where at three o'clock you're still deciding what you're going to eat in the, at the end of the day. Uh, and just making sure that all of that is ready. Uh, so I, I, we already see that right now that people are going there, and that's for food, but we'll see it for everything. We will have less stock, we'll just get everything delivered as we are consuming it. Uh, and that means that the supply chain will just needs to adopt, they need to be faster, they need to be more responsive, they need to be more agile, uh, and make sure that they deliver precisely when you need it. Well, Rob, I'm going to pay a lot more attention to what I eat from now on. So <laughs> it's a fascinating world. It's been great chatting to you. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. And, uh, thank you for uh, your presence. And I, I will keep on enjoying your podcast. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.